Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. So I think that, you know, getting the right team in place and making sure that your branding is on point from the very beginning is really, really important. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Today's Women in Tech shout out goes to Data Queens on Instagram. Thank you so much for supporting and cheering on the Women in Tech podcast. Be sure to say hello to Data Queens on Instagram at D-A-T-A-Q-U-E-E-N-S underscore I-O. That's D-A-T-A-Q-U-E-E-N-S underscore I-O. They are non-conformative data experts here to add a fresh and thoughtful perspective to the conversation. It's run by Andrea, Lee, and Spencer. Thank you for empowering women in tech. To connect and collaborate with extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. Hey, hey, hey. So, okay, for today's personal spot, I'm actually just going to share with you something that I posted on my Twitter. And if you want to check out my Twitter, that's just at Esprit Devora, E-S-P-R-E-E, D-E-V like Victor, O-R-A. So I know the newest craze is audio social networking, right? Like Clubhouse. Everyone's talking about Clubhouse and it was so exciting that I was the face on the app icon of Clubhouse. That was a really, really, really cool experience. And now it's exploding. It's past a million listeners. So one of the things with all the social networking apps that I put on my Twitter is the various audio social networking apps happening because we should really be exposed to all of them. So as I mentioned, there's Clubhouse. There's another one called Stereo. There's Twitter Spaces, so Twitter just launched one. I heard that Instagram just launched one too, but I, or is about to launch one. And there's Chalk App, and so that's chalkapp.com. Then there is Space App, and that's different than Spaces, so that's joinspace.co. And then there is Soapbox, and so you go to soapbox.social. And then last but not least, we have Sonar, and that's S-O-N-A-R, at dot app app and so check those out um those are all like really interesting audio social networks i do think audio social networking is the new new it's where everything's going i know there's a lot of conversation on how will that affect podcast listenership and content maybe i'll talk about that another time but it's been really exciting and the difference between all of these i'll just give you a, a breakdown real quick so for example clubhouse i feel is like a great place to learn 
one, obviously extremely popular right now. So, so much content. And it's also a place to be a speaker and to get noticed and to form more connections. Stereo is like instant podcasting. You just start podcasting with random people around the world. It's really exciting and they make it really easy to share the audio bites on social. Twitter spaces is great for general conversation with just tweet people in the Twitter sphere, right? I think just a thousand people have access to it. And so if you're following someone that has access to a Twitter spaces account, that's how you'll see the room at the top of the app only. It's not on desktop. Chalk app is on both desktop and mobile app, and that is for audio conversations. Space app, same thing for audio conversations. And the cool thing about Chalk app and Space app, it's like a lot of topics, like people will put their topic down, or you could use it for your fan base, or you could use it for your group. So there's many different ways to use it. So these aren't necessarily social networks. They're used mildly as social networking now, but they may just become something that you could use for your own company. Soapbox is for spontaneous conversation with random people. So it is actually for that reason. So it doesn't have topics and rooms, that kind of thing. And then Sonar is a really interesting experience where you have a visual component to, again, meeting people and kind of like an audio social networking atmosphere. So here, I'll just go through them one more time. And I think we'll include the link to my tweet in the show notes as well. So you have that super easy. So that's uh, Clubhouse, Stereo, Twitter Spaces, Chalk App, Space App, So box and sonar. And I do hear that Instagram is coming out with one too. I haven't been on Instagram yet today, so maybe it's already happened, but just heads up. Hope that helps. Enjoy the next episode. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited to be here with a friend and a woman in tech that I absolutely admire. Welcome from Los Angeles, Rachel. Hello. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. It's so good to see you. So exciting. Okay, so go ahead to kick things off. Share with everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah. So I run a podcast production company, and we also operate as a staffing agency for freelance audio professionals. So whether you just need someone to help out with a project or supplement your existing team, all the way to full service audio production for podcasts, audiobooks, you name it. I love pod people. I talk about pod people to everybody whenever I share with them about podcasting, because it's like super legit. (laughs) Like, All you do as a creator, as a producer, as a talent, as someone in in production, you just go to pod people and then magically you get gigs. It's, it's, it is kind of the best. I feel like it's a win-win situation because we charge the clients on the client side because they're the ones getting the service, right? So we can source the right team or make it for them and pull the right team together for us to oversee, but they're the one who's in need of the service. So yeah, we've never charged the folks in our community, the creators, which is really important to me. Uh, So basically, we're just bringing them great gigs and saying, you know, we think this is a fit for you. Are you available and interested? I love recommending pod people because it's this like magical resource and it feels like one of those things in life that's too good to be true and it literally is that true. I've personally experienced it so I'm not just saying it as like, oh, I want to support you. Like legitimately, I signed up for pod people and then I just got exposed to a bunch of opportunities as a professional podcaster. Well, let's bring it back for a second. When did you first become interested in business and technology? Ooh, 
God. Okay, we're going way back. So I was working at an agency in D.C. in like 2008-ish, a creative agency. So I was overseeing all of their social media accounts for clients. And like the National Guard was like our biggest account. So I was teaching all of the, you know, marketing departments of the National Guard of the different states and territories, how to use social media as a recruitment tool. It was a really interesting job, but I loved working with our smaller clients, more of the startups. And DC had a very small startup scene at the time anyway. And so I moved to San Francisco and took a job with Adobe, even though that's a giant company. It was a tech company. It was a good job. And it got me to San Francisco. So I was there for for about a year and was still looking at startup jobs and was like, I definitely want to go somewhere smaller because I just love being able to have such a big impact in a short amount of time. So I joined Sidecar, which was an Uber Lyft competitor, RIP, had a lot of fun and learned so much because we were like a lean team. So everyone had to do everything. And I was there for a bit. And then I moved down to Los Angeles to take a job as the head of communications at Dog Vacay, which has since been acquired by Rover. Again, same thing. Learned so much there. We had the best marketing team, as we called it. Loved puns. Puns were a crucial part of our marketing strategy. And After a few years there, I was like, okay, I've learned so much, but I'm still hungry to have an even greater impact. So I started my own company, which was a PR firm doing communications and content marketing for early stage startups. So primarily seed and series A startups in Los Angeles, especially uh, fintech and marketplaces and HR tech and all kinds of good stuff. And I loved that. I loved running my own company. I had a partner and Ashwarya Iyer, who you might have had on here. She's the founder of Brightland Olive Oil now. Anyway, we had a blast working together, but we both kind of got burnt out on PR, blah, 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 state of journalism today. It's a nightmare. So we were trying to figure out what we'd like to do next. And we were hoping we could it would be a joint venture. But ultimately, she like stumbled upon the idea of Brightland and was so excited about it. And I've always been obsessed with podcasts. And I realized as I was looking at, you know, the way the industry is changing, and this is, you know, 2015, that it was going to be sort of the next content frontier for branded content. Completely. Yeah. And then you launched Pod People shortly after that. Yeah, we launched Pod People in 2017, so about a year of like preparation and letting it percolate in my brain before I was ready to make the jump. It's been just a wild ride ever since, thanks to the years that I did spend in tech and PR. Our first clients that we made podcasts for were Samsung Next and Twitter and Medium. So we were like off to the races very quickly, and as we grew over time, we were staffing up all the teams we needed for each project and amassed this Rolodex of super talented producers, editors, engineers, sound designers, etc. And I realized, oh, this is the beginning of a marketplace. As the industry is growing, there's such a need for these kinds of talented folks, and they're really hard to find because it's so fragmented and everybody works for themselves. So freelancer, gig economy, waiting to be organized. And I'm like, great, we have you know access to all these great jobs with these clients, and we've got the talent pool. We can be the person who brings the right people to the right projects not just being a fragmented community of talent, but also a lot of people call themselves, for example, editors, and they actually can't edit audio. Yes, that is true. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big thing. Like when I am looking for a different talent, I, it's funny because I know my editor's listening to this, so he'll know my process. Yeah, but but she can cut tape, so. (laughs) So I'm just like going through like, 
tons and tons of people and I'm blown away by how many people call themselves an audio editor or podcast editor. I'm like, uh, nope. (laughs) Yeah. I think what they mean is that they're a story editor. So they would take the pieces of the story and figure out how they're going to fit together. But that's very different than actually cutting the tape in Pro Tools or Hindenburg or whatever. Rachel, I think you're being too kind. I think it's like everybody calling themselves a social media expert because they have an iPhone. Like, yeah, <laughs> like there's no, a little of that. It's I'm just sure. a trendy job title and people are trying to capitalize. It's true. But actually, one of the problems we find with the community is that people are too humble and they don't know how to th- sell themselves. So a lot of what we do is also like convincing people what their skill set really is and how experienced they really are. And most importantly, what kind of money they should be asking for. I love that. I love that. And you guys, I'm telling you, like, it's not just because I'm a fan of Rachel, which I am, and I'm a fan of pod people, which I am. But I literally have personally experienced being in the ecosystem of pod people and having clients in it. So like, it's dope. Like, go sign (laughs) up for pod people right now. It's podpeople.com, right? Yep, exactly. So yeah, just go to podpeople.com and sign up. I sound like an ad, but literally all it will bring is good fortune into your life. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I will. And it's free to be a part of it. So there's basically no reason not to. Oh, yeah. And there's that. So I mean, it's crazy. Let's get into a particular favorite part of your company. And I'm curious if it has been an advantageous part for you. And please be candid. But one of my favorite parts of your company is how much you build on community. And you put a lot of effort behind community. Let's get into what that is, but has it paid off? Like, is it worth it? Oh, 100%. I mean, just for me personally, I don't want to build a company where that's not a piece of it. That, to me, is what makes it feel good and, like, why you are excited to wake up and go to work that day is because you're creating something that helps people and that allows people to get the resources they need, get the jobs they need, find help they need from each other. Like one of the things we do is also internal matchmaking. If one of our producers is working on an indie show and they need a sound designer or they need help learning how to sound design, we can play matchmaker within the community too so that everyone can sort of skill share, which is super fun. But it's so kind that you say that, but I actually feel like we have a lot more to do in the community department. So we just hired a senior community manager, Tyler Green. He's only been with us a month and a half, I think, but I feel like he's been with us since forever. And the stuff he has planned for this year is going to blow your mind. He's built out a whole team underneath him, too, because now the community is almost a thousand people. So, you know, having one poor community manager in charge of keeping all those folks engaged and making sure what they have, you know, they have what they need is crazy. So now we have a whole team that's solely dedicated to building out the resources that everyone needs and making sure that this is like something people really want to be part of. Let's get into what you've done to curate the community because not everybody knows what I know. So talk to us a little bit about the efforts that you put in into the community building and in your physical events pre-pandemic and what you're doing now in the 2021 era. (laughs) Yeah. So this year, we're really planning on building out educational resources, you know, creating rate cards and defined roles and responsibilities that all of our folks can refer to. We also want to create, this will be later this year because it's a little bit more complicated, but a calculator where people can, our producers can calculate and clients could calculate what should they be paying (laughs) and producers can calculate what should they be charging for all of the different facets. 
and what kind of show it's for. You know, so script writing, intro, outro, narration for an interview show is obviously a much lower lift than doing it for a nonfiction narrative show or certainly a fiction show. So those should be taken into account as well as the type of client, you know, is this for a nonprofit or a radio station versus branded versus Amazon Music getting into the game now and hopefully we'll have, you know, good pay market rates for their their producers that they're bringing onto projects. So that's something we're super excited to do. And then, yeah, unfortunately, we did super fun events last year. Not last year, because now last year is 2020. In 2019 and 2018, where we would get the community together in LA, especially because that was our home base, but also New York and San Francisco do little meetups when we had conferences there and, and get people face-to-face and talking. And and we would beforehand do some mentor-mentee matching so that we could make sure and introduce people in person at the event that we knew would be helpful to each other. So now we're going to take that all virtual. And so that's another one of Tyler's big projects this year. We're going to figure out the right way to do that. We're also going to do the fun stuff. Like, I don't want to just you know, be like, what do you need? Here's, you know, just have it be transactional stuff. We want to do really fun events where they're like game nights or where, you know, a mini hackathon where we pair people up and give them a prompt and within 10 minutes they need to pitch the show. And financially, we also want to start funding pilot episodes from the community. You know, we would put out a prompt and say, pitch us your best idea and then fund the pilot and help them shop it around to networks or even make it ourselves as an original. So we got lots of plans for 2020. There's a great new company. It's an LA tech company called 30 Friends. And so have Tyler check that out. It's uh, great for these kind of happy hours or even like a connective pitch. So it doesn't feel so serious, you know, but just a great tool for community building 30 Friends. And it's a new LA tech company. Awesome. I'll check it out. Yeah, and I can introduce you to the founder if uh, if that would help. I know that we're going to probably be using it in We Are LA Tech for happy hours, so I imagine that that might be useful for you too. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you got it. What are some of the big obstacles that you've overcome in your career, and how did you overcome them? I guess one of the biggest ones is that I have a tendency to just jump in headfirst and assume that I can do whatever the task is at hand on my own, which is in some ways a good characteristic, right? Like it has made me borderline fearless and willing to take on challenges and all of that is good. But definitely something that has been a hindrance is not asking for help when I need it. I mean, I'm the I'm the first to admit if I don't know something, like I'll tell you straight up. But then when it comes to executing, I'll just try and do everything myself instead of, you know, delegating and pulling in help. So we just went through the Techstars program in Los Angeles, and that was hugely helpful in two ways. One, teaching me how to delegate through, you know, all the folks we worked with in the program and specifically a coach who, like an executive coach who helped me think through that on like a therapy level, (laughs) you know, like, why do you do that? And here's, you know, cognitive behavior therapies to fix that. But then also getting a team of mentors together. I've never really had formal mentors just because I was not I don't know why. I don't know why. I never made the effort, I guess, to like go out and ask someone like, hey, I think you could really help me with X, Y, Z. I'm so impressed by you. I think I could learn from you. Would you mind, you know, giving me an hour of your time every month that where I could ask you about whatever 
part of my career I think you could help with. And in Techstars, you're forced to do that. I mean, the first week or couple weeks, you meet with 50 different people who have different areas of expertise. And then at the end of it, you ask the folks that you really connected with if they'll be your mentor for the program with the assumption that, you know, if it goes well, hopefully it extends beyond that program. And for me, this was the most valuable thing I got out of Techstars. I can't tell you how helpful it was to have, you know, six really smart people that I could go to and run ideas by, people who've sold companies, people who've built media companies, people who've built marketplaces, you know, all the specific things that I am looking to achieve with this. And I just am so grateful for that realization and really think that it will get us where we want to go faster and in a better way than we would have otherwise. I love that. So I have a selfish question that I like to ask everyone uh, because I am obsessed with productivity tools. What is your favorite app, website, hardware? It can be anything. Yeah. So hands down, it's called To Do, and it's spelled French, like T-E-U-X, D-E-U-X. Oh, yes. It's so affordable. I don't know what it is, like 20 bucks a year, maybe 30 bucks a year, but it's the only productivity slash to-do list app I've ever stuck with. And I've been using it for at least five years now. I'm obsessed with the way it works. There are little cute Easter eggs. Like when you check something off your list, a rainbow cat flies across the screen, (laughs) like success. It's just the UI is so simple, but so intuitive and pretty. I'm obsessed with it. I use it every day, all day. So I could be wrong. So everybody, like, there's a possibility that I'm wrong, but I think it's female-founded because I've had it for years, too. And I feel like some of the emails I received, I think it's female-founded, but I could be wrong. It wouldn't surprise me, though, because, like, it's like someone in my brain designed it. (laughs) I don't know. It's so good. I'm obsessed. I have to get back to using to-do list. That is a good one. And we'll include it in the show notes for everybody. What is one of your favorite books that you've read? Ooh, nonfiction or fiction? Whichever comes to mind for you. Give or Take, or Give and Take, I think by Adam Grant, is my favorite nonfiction because it discusses how being generous can actually benefit you from a career-wise and and everything-wise in the long run. And I just love that idea. But it also teaches you how to not be a taker. Obviously, that's intuitive, right? If you take and take from other people, eventually you'll burn those bridges and you'll be left with nothing. But the opposite of that is someone who gives too much and, you know, also is left with nothing. And learning how to walk the middle of that road and be a super connector for no reason other than you know it's going to come back to you eventually. You don't know how it will, but you know that it will. And to that end, like, the book Giftology that just came out, where it's like strategic corporate gift giving and doing it in a smart way, where same thing, you're not expecting anything back, but these little thoughtful moments where you give something to someone, like they come back to you in the end. Mentoring, you know, is obviously a no-brainer. So yeah, Give and Take by Adam Grant is my favorite, I think, and it has been for years. Yeah, we'll include it in the show notes as well. What's the current state of your company? What's the, like, Where are you today and where would you like to be? Like, what's your dream vision for it? I think it's cheese to say a year or five years. F that. Just your vision. (laughs) Eventually. So we have a team of 10 right now on like the core team, obviously, plus 100 freelancers that we use on all the different projects. And they're incredible. I've gotten so lucky over the past few months. We've had a lot of shifts on the team to where and, and hires where we've ended up in a place where I feel so confident about the leaders of each division and the teams they've built and our super clear vision about where we want to go. I mean, we want to be a super profitable company that loves what we do, 
is a really best-in-class solution for clients that is constantly getting people work and providing a community for freelancers because, you know, any industry that's freelance-based can be really lonely. And yeah, obviously there is a potential exit where we are acquired or have a strategic investment, especially from one of the big players in audio, but, you know, any media company or agency who really wanted to make a big splash and sort of put their foot into audio world in a big way, you know, could make sense for them to team up with us. So that's definitely a possibility. But this year is our building year. I mean, we want to triple our revenue and all that good stuff. But I think this year is definitely a building year. We are building, you know, new dashboards for the client side and the creator side and internal database that will eventually have an AI powered algorithm of how we do the matching for each job. Yeah, so we got plans, we got things we need to do. And then maybe next year, it would make sense to start to look at, you know, larger partners for a bigger vision. And what are some of the things that you've done while growing your company that have really worked? You're like, oh, and then you're like, let's do more of that. Because there's, I mean, I think the thing that we don't, like, we don't want to see as a culture of entrepreneurial people is that the majority of things that we do will not work. (laughs) And unfortunately, that is the truth. And it's a very painful truth, but it is the truth. So what are some of the key things that you've done that really worked that you scaled up? Hiring the right person for the job sooner than you need them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it was such a stretch when I brought my head of production on a couple years ago and and made her, like, full-time sooner than I was ready to. But it was the right move, especially with the kinds of clients that we were working with out of the gate, you know, the Samsungs and Twitters and Netflixes of the world. Like, we had to be super professional and appear much bigger than we were at the time from the very beginning. And paying someone for branding. And, you know, like, it really does matter the face you put out into the world. And we're now, like, doing a whole website revamp, which I can't wait for. So it'll actually be a product flow to help you figure out what you need. But putting that first foot forward and making sure that we're presenting something that, you know, would work for best in class clients, I think saved us a lot of time. Whereas I see a lot of folks start out in the industry and they're not charging enough or they're working with really small clients and it takes them so much longer to build up. And so I think that, you know, getting the right team in place and making sure that your branding is on point from the very beginning is really, really important. And two last questions. What's a huge thing that you wish you just didn't do at all? Well, I did try hard to find a co-founder and I wasn't able to at the time, which in hindsight was probably better because we needed to get going. Like the audio industry was moving and we got out in front of it. And if I'd waited until I found the right partner, then I probably wouldn't have. And now that we're shifting focus to become a product company from a services company, I actually need a different co-founder. Now I need like a product focused co-founder, which, you know, I hope to find this year. So I did try. It didn't happen. It was a very long three years or it's been a long, you know, few years being basically the sole executive. But now I do have an executive team in place finally. And so a lot of that stress has been relieved and it's given us the bandwidth to find the right product focused co-founder going forward for their next phase of our company. So maybe it was a blessing in disguise, but I was so tired for the first couple years. Like there were no vacations. There was no not checking your email for years. I know that's everyone's story who starts a company, but it doesn't make it any less exhausting. Completely and utterly agree. And so the last question is like a double up question. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten? 
Mm. I wrote this down because I was thinking about it. We talked about this a little bit, but I feel really strongly about it. There's three. One is mentors are a must, not a nice to have. I now know this from personal experience. People told me this and I didn't listen to them, but then Techstars forced it upon me and it's so true. Second is hire people who are smarter than you and hire them sooner than you think you need them. And the third is trust your gut. Always trust your gut, especially when it comes to hiring But also when it comes to taking on clients, I mean, if you've ever had to let go of a client because they were a nightmare in one way or another, it is so difficult and so messy to extricate yourself from a mess. It's way better, I think, to pass up a project that you have a bad feeling about and always wonder if it would have been fine. It probably wouldn't have been. I don't know. I'm a proponent and I give all of my team members license to say no. We can say no to things because that makes room for the things that we want to say yes to. If you could give advice to either yourself right out of high school or right out of college, the one that resonates with you more, what advice would you give her? I always regretted that I did my college semester abroad in London because I was too scared. Even though I was like borderline fluent in Spanish, I was too scared to go to either Spain or a Latin American country to become truly fluent. And I regret that every day. I know this has nothing to do with my career. That's my biggest personal regret is that I didn't go to a Spanish-speaking country for my year abroad and like truly become fluent. Because now I'm like, 50, 60%. And I could have been, I could have been so much better and it would have been so much more fun to travel around because now I'm constantly, I have to like refresh before I go and like restaurant Spanish is good. But beyond that, my vocabulary is, you know, a high school uh, American Spanish education system, which is not great. I've actually had the same, I don't know if the right word is aspiration or whatever to become fluent in Spanish again. And so during the pandemic, I started, do you know the website italki? Oh, I've heard of it. Yeah. It's amazing. My friend who is a professional, what's it called? Polyglot? Polyglot. Yeah. 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 Something like that. My friend who is a professional polyglot, he speaks, I think that's the word, he speaks multiple languages. He said, you should check out italki. You can connect with a native speaker in the country you want to learn. Right. You talk to an actual person as opposed to like a Duolingo or whatever is very cool, but you're just repeating back phrases. Yeah. So I've been doing it seven months now. Uh, three hours a week, and I love it. It's my favorite thing, my absolute favorite thing to do in my life. I feel like I'm at somewhere between, I'm probably around a strong intermediate at the moment. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I truly believe that if you had it in your head when you were young, it stays in there. Like stuff I learned now or post-college just falls directly out of my head, never to be seen again. But I remember every lyric to every song I loved in seventh grade. So I feel like you just need to unearth it. And it sounds like you're doing a good job. Yeah. And I think it also has to do a lot with our digital world now. There's such an information overload and we didn't have that much information overloading our brain at that time. And so how can people connect with you? I probably use Instagram the most, R-E-C-H-A-E-L-G-K-I-N-G, just Rachel G. King on there. But I'm also Rachel at podpeople.com, R-E-C-H-A-E-L at podpeople.com. Or if you just want to reach out to the company generally, hello at podpeople.com is perfect. And the last thing I'm going to leave everyone with, and it's something new, and it's something I actually learned from one of our guests, Laura, is, and I'm probably going to be sharing this at the end of every episode moving forward, because I want to be reminded of it myself, is do you know the word pronoia? No. Okay, pronoia is the opposite of paranoia, and it means everything is happening for you, in your favor. 
And I want 2021 to be that no matter what's happening. So imagine you could even get a flat tire, but then you walk to the store nearby and you end up meeting the love of your life because of the flat tire. So everything is happening for you. You just may not know how. And I love the state of mind that that is. And I want to kind of use that as my mantra through 2021. So I think I'm going to end every podcast episode with you know, the discovery of pronoia, but now you have it too. It was Laura who was our guest in Kazakhstan. She's the one that taught me the word and I just think it was a game changer. Yeah. I'm going to share it with my whole team. Right? Pronoia. Yeah. Pronoia. That's great. Thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. If you want to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. Takes you straight there. Womenintechvip.com. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on all the things. I will see you guys, hear you guys, talk to you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for having me. This is Rachel King, the founder and CEO of Pod People. We are the on-demand workforce for audio production. I'm based in Los Angeles, and you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.